0: Matthew chapter six, verses 19 through 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be filled of darkness. If then light within you is darkness, how great that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. We'll do keep that passage open. That's the place we'll be spending most of our time in this morning. And we come to the end of our series in the Ten Commandments. I don't know whether that's a great sigh of relief. Ten ten Sundays on Ten Commandments. But I hope that by now we're clear what the law of God is is about that as we're reading parts of the Bible which um, are big on commandments, we know how to apply those commandments to ourselves, how they've been fulfilled in Jesus Christ and his life and teaching and how the law is really important for the Christian life because it does three things. Don't worry, I'm not going to test you. Firstly, it, it shows our need of Jesus Christ, it, it shows us how dark Our hearts really are, how much we fail uh, to keep God's standards. So it shows us our need of Jesus Christ. And then it shows us what Jesus is like. It shows us the character of Jesus Christ so that if we trust in him, we're going to be more and more wanting to be like him. We, We know that God has promised to make us perfectly like him as we go through our lives, as we head towards heaven. So it shows us our need of Jesus. It shows us what Jesus is like and how we need to be conformed to his image. And thirdly, the law of God shows us what a society that pleases God must be like, whether that society is the church or the the nation in which we live, the public square. It's a bit like an ECG that shows us our hearts to reveal our heart problem. It's a bit like a heart surgeon that replaces our hearts, writes God's law on our hearts. It's a bit like the NHS. Mm, it's sort of the, the, the analogy breaks down there a bit, doesn't it? In other words, we're in a society which recognizes that hearts go wrong and is ready to transform them. But let's just pray, shall we? Because we're coming to the end of this series that, that the Lord would do a work in our hearts. That's our desire, isn't it? That's my desire for myself, for us all, as we come to God's word, that the Holy Spirit would be writing God's law on our hearts. So let's, let's come to him. Lord God Almighty, the Holy One, we praise you and thank you that you revealed your law to us to show us our need of Jesus, to show us more what Jesus is like and to live that out in the life of the church and in our society. Lord, please would you do a work in each of our hearts this morning, making us more like Jesus as you promise, so that we might live for him, love him, show him more. Clearly to those around us, we ask for your glory's sake. Amen. Well, keep a a finger in Matthew. Let's just flip back to Exodus chapter 20 to remind ourselves a little bit of the context of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. We we, we know that the, the Israelites were not saved by keeping the Ten Commandments, they were saved in order to keep the Ten Commandments. Rescued from slavery by God's grace, by his faithfulness to his covenant alone. And then they're given the Ten Commandments to know how to live in a way that pleases him. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And as we were thinking a little earlier on, covet simply means to d- desire for oneself those things. Now I don't know the last time you, d- you, you coveted somebody's ox. Um, we, we recognize that this is culturally located. We, we, there's a timeless principle here that we can apply to ourselves, even if it is couched in language that some might say is a bit sort of Bronze Age, a bit misogynistic, a bit primitive. See, what's fascinating is that here is a command that is over 3,500 years old, and we're still reading it. A a command for a, a nascent nation state, we might say, which is what Israel was about to become. And this nation's life, a nation that had been rescued from slavery by the undeserved kindness of God, is part of their national legal code, and it's about desire. It's clear that according to the Bible, the most important thing to address when we're thinking about laws in in the nation in which we live is the heart. Here is a commandment that addresses not just what we worship. It's not just combating theft or murder or adultery, but it's saying underlying all the commandments of God is what goes on in our hearts. Punitive laws in a nation will not do everything that's needed for a society that pleases God. And we reject such ancient wisdom, I think, at our peril. If we think that we can do for a society by external laws what... God's law says it needs to be addressed to the heart, though, we are kidding ourselves? As, as we see all around us, punitive laws can't do what only God's law can. And I think we reject such ancient wisdom at our parable. We need, we need to sort of filter out the cultural aspects going on in this passage and see the timeless command of God. Now, I know, uh, talking to my uh, daughters, that ideological socialism and ideological capitalism uh, are very much being thought about and talked about in our culture. But I'm not gonna go into them, but if you want to ask me about it in the next few weeks, I will be responding to emails, then do. Why do ideological socialism and ideological capitalism both fail? Well, because they ignore this commandment. Whether it's the coveting of wealth by the poor in communism, who then become the next oppressors, or the fueling of greed by the capitalist mantra, greed is good, both fail where the Ten Commandments, God's law, succeeds. You see, as we know from the other commandments, the commandments of God are the application of timeless moral or ethical principles clothed in the culture of that day, fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and applied to the Christian life. And here, just as coveting wife and male and female servants or slaves and oxes and donkeys is culturally located, there's still a timeless principle to apply to our day. The law of God in the books of Moses that establishes equality and the abhorrence of slavery through the teaching of the image of God in Genesis chapters one and two, which is all the, the, the rage in our culture has come from the books of Moses. And we've seen how this commandment is given to show the Israelites who've been rescued from slavery in Egypt by God's grace, how they should live in relationship with them. Their obedience to it did not rescue them, did it? But as they were rescued, They were to obey it. And this commandment is integral to the other ten commandments. We we break this one at the end. We're breaking all the others. It assumes, as we were uh, thinking about in the, the children's slot, the sovereignty of God in our lives. That it's up to God to decide our house, our spouse, our place in life, our work, our employees, our possessions. And therefore to covet that which belongs to others as if we should have them is to play God, is to break the first three commandments, is to put ourselves in the place of God and disagree with God and say, well, no, I disagree with what you've provided for me. I want what you have not given me. You won't be first, in my life. You, you won't be the only God before your face. I will worship other gods. I will make something that is created so important to me, almost like an image, that I will want that and worship that rather than you. Can you see how breaking this 10th commandment, like we were thinking of a few months ago, we, we break the other nine. As the Apostle James put it, sin is conceived in the heart, which is what the Tenth Commandment forbids, but then when it is fully grown, it gives birth to death, the punishment for breaking any of the commandments. Now that was just by way of introduction, we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 6, so let's uh, turn back to Matthew chapter 6, and as we've seen and as I've maybe overly labored, the law of God reveals what our hearts are like and our need for Jesus Christ to change our hearts and how we all know our need of this. And Jesus teaches two things from Matthew chapter 6. Firstly, do not treasure things on earth, treasure God's future for the Christian. If that's you, then treasure the future he has for you. Do not treasure things on earth, treasure God's future for you. And then secondly, do not look at things so as to covet them, rather serve God. So firstly, do not treasure things on earth, treasure God's future for you. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steel. Now, the the word translated vermin is sometimes translated uh, rust. It literally just means things that eat up other things. So it might be vermin that eats up a pile of grain or gnaws through your wires at home. Um, Or it might be the fact that rust is starting to appear on your car. And it doesn't matter how much you try and keep it dry, it just sort of bubbles underneath the paint, doesn't it? Leave that for a few more decades and the rust will have grown. In other words, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and things that eat things destroy and where thieves break in and steal or literally dig in. So the ancient houses would have been made of mud brick and so anybody could just dig in through the house wall and that's why people stored often their savings in clay pots under the floorboards, which is why we so often find you know, clay pots full of Roman coins that were buried under the floorboards in Colchester and then the house was burnt down. So don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and things that eat destroy and where thieves dig in, break in and steal. But, Jesus says, lay up for yourselves, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for... Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're not to store up treasure on earth. We're not to treasure the things of earth, if you like. We're to treasure those things in heaven where we can store up securely where our hearts are to be. Now, we've just got to be clear here, don't we? Jesus is not saying people must be poor. We're not to have any kind of savings or insurance. He's not saying that luxury is wrong or wealth is wrong. He's speaking about the heart. What is our heart's focus? What is our heart's priority? What captures our hearts? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And our hearts are to be directed towards heaven and the future that the Christian has. And it's easy to miss An observation, which I think is a very helpful one. Uh, Do let me know if it's not that helpful. But I think it's a very, very helpful observation that what Jesus is saying here is that heaven is secure for the Christian. It must be from what he is saying. It's not just that heaven is free from moth and rust and Theft and vermin, although it is. It's not just that it's a place where treasures can be laid up where they can't be subject to inflation or the bank going bust. It must be that we get them. It's not a matter of do your best in the Christian life and maybe one day you might make it to heaven. No, for the follower of Jesus, heaven is so pure, it's more secure than anything on earth. It's more secure than your bank account. Than your house, because if we invest there, we will get it. I mean, imagine that um, you were thinking about where to save some money in a bank, and uh, you, you know interest rates are doing all kinds of crazy things at the moment, and we're all thinking, well, how how secure is our house? Can we afford the mortgage? What do we need to cut? How do we balance the books? But imagine that you're looking around at banks, and rather than a bank's strap line being for the journey. I don't know if anybody knows what bank that is. Lloyds, yeah. Or the world's local bank, HSBC. It was, you may not get back what you saved with us. You may not get back what you saved with us. But would you go there? Would Would you invest in that bank? Would you put your savings, have your mortgage with that bank? No. But that's how we think about heaven. We think we may not be there. So why invest there? We may not get back all that we store there because we're not certain we will be there. But can you see, this is a wonderful implication of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, put all your investments into heaven. Nothing can touch them. Inflation won't, they won't go down as well as up. They're only going up. You'll get back everything you invest there with interest. So lay up treasure there because that's where your heart will be if that's what you do, but inherent is the assumption that for the follower of Jesus, we will be there. It's safer than any other investment. It's more worthwhile pouring our money and time and energy and effort into that bank account than any other. We we get our assurance, our certainty, about the fact that we'll be in heaven, dented by a lot of things, don't we? Uh, the world around us suggests that, well, you know, if we, if we give to charity, if we do our best, then maybe we might get there. No. Jesus Christ has won it for us. He's done it all for us. If we're in him, we will see him there. Because he resisted the temptation of the devil. When the devil offered in the whole world, he'd rather save you and me. Rather than him grasp on that which was rightfully his as the Son of God, rather than grasp equality with God to save people like you and me, he was joyful in going to the cross in obedience to his heavenly Father to take the punishment for people like you and me for our lack of generosity, for our stinginess and our self-indulgence, for the poor that we have robbed and the starving we have ignored, Jesus paid the price. for All of that. He, he died, didn't he? We know this. To deal with our heart problem that the law of God reveals so that when he rose again, he could give us that new life in union with him, a life that begins now and is finally realized in heaven for certain. He's already paid the deposit on us through giving us the Holy Spirit, which guarantees our inheritance Which is the same as his. You see, if God has given us his son, how will he not give us with him all things? All things! And yet we think, oh, well, I've been given Jesus Christ, I've been given God's son. It's not really, I I think I just need a bit more. We forget, (laughs) do we not? And we forget that God does it all from beginning to end. That that work which he's begun in us, he will complete on the day of Christ Jesus. We will be blameless before him. We will be like him because we will see him as he is. So we can set our hearts on things above where he is. And invest there. It's safer than houses. And it is this perspective that Jesus is teaching. Are we, are we convinced? I don't, I don't know. Ask yourself in your heart. Are you convinced that you will be in heaven because you've trusted in Jesus Christ? Or do we think, oh, I'll hedge my bets. I'll invest some in that future. But because I'm not sure, I'll also invest some down here because I don't want to miss out. Because I'm not sure 100% that I'll get there. And according to Jesus, that's, that's not an option. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or mammon in the original. It's a bit broader than money. It's kind of all the things that money can buy and do. Now, as I said, Jesus is not saying that we should loathe wealth or hate insurance or consider banking an immoral career or immoral... He's saying that we cannot have both God first in our hearts and money first in our hearts. It's just not possible. We cannot serve money one day in this earth and all that money can do in this earth and God the next day. It's not that God is anti-money, it's not that money is filthy lucre, that's wrong, isn't it? Because it's the love of money that is the root of all evil, not money itself. What Jesus is saying is we cannot build our security in money one day and on God the next. In our hearts, either God comes first or money does. This is challenging. Do we not do we not find this challenging? Because, you know, if, if I'm honest with myself, you know, when things are going financially okay, as a family, I'm feeling more secure. And when things financially are not going so well, I'm feeling a bit worried and anxious. What does that reveal about my heart? Is my heart directed towards security only in God, who never changes perfectly? Of course not. But Jesus says, that is true. And he places these two options before us so that we might test our hearts and Repent of putting our security in money and return to putting our security in God. In that heavenly future that we have, as Jesus says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions in Luke 12, 15. If we put our security in the abundance of our possessions or money, we are fools, according to Jesus. The fool is the person who is not rich towards God. Because we can't take any of it with us when we die, can we? And so, if we are those who are wealthy here this morning, which we all are in global terms, although we may be more aware of those who are slightly more wealthy than us in the church than we are, no, we're all wealthy in global terms, then here is a command that uh, the Apostle Paul commands Timothy to say to all those who are wealthy. So, turn with me to 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. So this is Paul telling Timothy, who's basically a church pastor, so this is what we all need to hear. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything that is necessary. doesn't say that, does it? Everything for our enjoyment. He's a good God who provides us with everything that we need. Command them to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share in this way They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Live for that treasure that you're storing up in heaven. That will feed your assurance. You'll be taking hold of the life that is truly life, the real life that trusts God, that hopes in God, that is rich in good deeds and generous to others. So that's our first point and the longest of the two. Do not treasure things on earth Treasure God's future for you, which is in Jesus Christ, is it not? And then secondly, back to Matthew chapter 6. Do not look at things so as to covet them. Serve God. Do not look at things so as to covet them. Serve God. So verse 22 of chapter 6. According to Jesus, we can look at things that flood our bodies with darkness or light. The eye is the lamp of the body. Now, now Jesus is not suggesting that somehow the eye shines actual light into our bodies. He's not speaking in biological terms. Even the ancient world knew that that's not true. Jesus is talking in spiritual terms. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, and you'll see there's a footnote, literally generous, if your eyes are thinking looking around and thinking, what can I give? I've been given so much. I know Jesus. I've been given the Son of God. He will, along with him, give me all things. I will inherit the world. I'm wealthy. I, I want to be generous to everybody around me. If your eyes is healthy or literally generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or literally stingy, thinking what can I get from people around, what, what can I get? And I don't really want to be Generous, because my bank account will go down. Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, this is challenging. And remember, the law of God is not meant to make you know, a stick to beat us with and give up on ourselves. It's, it's meant to, to show us how much we need Jesus and to go to him regularly for the help that we need But what do we look at and covet? What do we fix our gaze upon and fantasize over? It may not be pornography, although it includes that, but it may be the equivalent for property. Apparently, property pornography is a thing. I don't know if you've come across the Omaze Lottery. Does anybody know what I'm talking about, the Omaze Lottery? It comes up on my Facebook page. I don't know why. Um, well, I do know why, actually, because obviously the algorithm has worked out that I'm going to be vulnerable, uh, and I am. You know, rather than being promised millions of pounds, which is just far too sort of abstract for me to really be tempted by, it just uh, up comes this 3 million, 4 million, 10 million pound house. And then there's this slick video that shows you all the rooms and the fact that it's by a river and the fishing is a make no not, not for every, not for everybody. And all you need to do is buy a ticket. It's only ten or twenty quid, and then all this could be yours. Tempting, isn't it? It's the closest I've come to betting, which I know is you know not a Christian thing to do. But it's the closer I come, oh, what does it matter? You know, just 20 quid, and then, and what could I do? I could sell it, and then I could give half the funds to the church, and, and then, you know, you know how it goes when we're coveting what God has not given us, probably for our good. What do you look at and covet? For me, it's living somewhere where there is good fishing, which, sorry, is not Colchester, Uh, On on holiday I went fishing uh, in some beautiful places, Uh, the the River Tyvee in southwest Wales, Uh, in Keswick there's the River Darwent. and I found myself beginning to think, wouldn't it be nice to live here? Maybe maybe we could buy a holiday home. (laughs) Can you see what's happening? Something that is good, it's not wrong to enjoy these things. Maybe you've been on holiday and you've had similar thoughts. Or maybe not. There's, there's nothing wrong with living in these places. But God, in his sovereignty, knows better for me and for you. Who knows, maybe I'd spend so much time fishing that it wouldn't be healthy for me. What is it for you? Where's your weakness? What do you look at that just raises up that covetousness within you, that you find yourself longing for things, desiring things? It may not be property, it may be a lifestyle. Maybe we see people on Instagram or TikTok. I don't know how that happens. I haven't worked out how to use those yet. Or Facebook. People's lives look amazing. I mean, th- their family seems to be without flaw. Their relationship is full of constant romance and joy. They're thriving, earning millions, and that's just the children. They're ministering in churches which are thousands in number. The holidays, the sporting achievements, and you're thinking about your relationship and your family and having been battered by disappointments in life or struggling with ill health or failure. And it's easy, isn't it, to be warped by a warped view of reality that makes us long for that which is just not real. Because we do know, don't we, that Facebook's not real and Instagram's not real. And I mean, they even have these things now. Um, I think our oh, Lizzie's doing it, and we're talking about it at the university. There's apps which are re- about being reality and just taking a photo of what you're really doing at that moment. I question whether that's always the case, but you can see why people are doing that. Or you just want to be more real and authentic, presenting something that is real. But what do we? what do you, what do I need to stop looking at? Because it's just feeding covetousness. It's taking our focus off that treasure which is to come, which is secure, and making us long for things that are of this earth that we can buy with money, so we need to earn more money. Has the light in you become darkness? Uh, Jen Wilkham is so helpful in her book on this, and I'm just going to quote from her now. Who among us has not watched a romantic comedy and compared our own romance Who among us has not watched a home makeover show and wanted to burn our home to the ground? I think that's a bit extreme. Anyway, when battling expectations set by an ideal, it is good to remember exactly what an ideal is. Webster's Dictionary defines ideal as existing as a mental image or in fancy or imagination only. The ideal job, spouse, family, home, or paycheck that has been dangled before us by media outlets Let's say it together, not real. Should we just try that? Let's just say this together with whatever that image is that we. Not real. It's not real. You see, maybe we need to look more at the starving, so we're thankful for our food, or at the unemployed, so we're thankful for our job, or those suffering ill health, so we're thankful for ours, or those who are homeless who are thankful for where we live or those who are lonely to be thankful for our friends or at the bereaved to be thankful for our spouses there's a whole area of reality out there that we ignore because it won't be marketed to us by those who want to generate in us a desire for things that we don't need and if our gaze is directed more by what we can give than what we can get well, then covetousness is killed at the root, isn't it? Because as God wants us to be, we'll always be thankful that we've been given more than others that we can give to. We'll always be thankful that our health is always better than others that we can look at. And as Jen Welkin puts it, because the Bible teaches this, we need to learn contentment. Now, I don't think this means that we give up on it aspiration or ambition or desire for improvement in whatever way, but it's saying that godliness with contentment is great gain. Not worrying about food and clothing or home and holiday because our Heavenly Father knows we need these things. We're to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, learning as Paul did that whether we have plenty or whether we're in want, whether we are in health or illness, whether our families are all together or battered and chattered, we can be constantly thankful to God who has given us His best, His Son. How will He not, along with Him, give us all things? I mean, many of us here are parents. How much would He have to love someone to give them one of our children? To be tortured to death on a cross. How much? If he has given us his son, how much will he not, along with him, give us all things? See, constantly seeking what we lack stops us being thankful for Jesus, doesn't it? I mean, I know that that's what I'm like. And we need to be those that constantly see not what what we lack, what we covet, but whom we have been given so that we can be generous on any and every occasion because we've been given so much in Jesus that only by him and through him and in him should we be those who do not covet. See, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, love Jesus, or be devoted to Jesus and despise the other. You cannot serve both Jesus and money. Let's just pray. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so sorry that we forget how much you've given us in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we fail to be content in him content in your sovereignty in our lives. Lord, we thank you so much that your sovereignty has brought us to know your Son. And if you have given us him, how will you not, along with him, give us all things, even eternal life, that perfection of heavenly glory where there will be no more coveting, no more sin, no more dying or crying or pain, but glory and contentment. Forever. Lord, we thank you that you've given us so much. Help us to be those that look <laughs> with our eyes to what we can give rather than to what we can get.